Welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Thank you for joining me today on The Secret Life of Cookies. First, an apology for the hiatus, but Bosco and I are back now, baking and cooking, and here to discuss the news of the day. There appears to be a lot of news of the day, actually, these days. Uh, But today's guest is Wendell Potter, and he has a lot to say about the state of healthcare and health insurance in this country as a former executive at Cigna. I'm so grateful for the insights Wendell brings to the topic, and he shares two very important things all of us need to know to make health insurance actually work for us. I know, surprising, but it's true, and I'm so appreciative to have had Wendell on this week. And on with the show. Hello, and welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies. My guest today is Wendell Potter, who is a former Cigna Health executive and um, author of a book called Deadly Spin and part of a new documentary that's just come out that um, sort of shook me to my core a little bit about uh, American hospitals uh, healing a broken system. So I thank you very much for coming today. Thank you. Thank you. And typically, um, I, 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 no one can see this at home because it is a podcast, but I do have three oranges and I am not going to juggle today. Um, and you have chosen not to share your secret family recipes of biscuits being from Tennessee. I think you said you maybe are a little shy about that, but I think you're keeping secrets from us. Is this true? Well, it is true. I, uh, I was trying to figure out whether to, make, whether to make biscuits or cornbread. I even import my uh, flour and cornmeal from Tennessee. It's got to be, it's got to be white lily flour from Knoxville, Martha White from Nashville from a cornbread. So uh, yeah, it's uh, I've got to do it like Mom did. Yes, and you know a lot of people say like white lily is really the gold standard of um, like low protein flours that help make a really delicate biscuit. It, it does. There's not a, a whit of nutrition there, but <laughs> makes some makes some good biscuits. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> and Martha White, Martha White has Self Rising Plus. I'll have you know, whatever that is. Self Rising Plus uh, for added absorbency. I don't know what that means, but that sounds great, and I'm going to look into it yes. because yeah. it's got to be good. A good biscuit, it's got to be good, right? Um, a delicate biscuit. There's nothing better. So we'll have you on again. I'm sure there's plenty to talk about in the healthcare space. There is, um, and we you. We can uh, work your guts up to do it. I'm making an orange um, yogurt cake. So one of those very simple sorts of cakes. And I'll be um, grating oranges, not juggling them, or dropping them on the floor as I did before we started recording, and um, juicing them to get us ready, me ready to make this thing. Uh, I thank you for being here. Uh, we have tried to make this podcast happen for a number of weeks now. And for various medical reasons or other, we have not been able to do it. Right. And I just wanted to, as a, you know, investigative journalist, I decided to go deep on this uh, subject and send my son to the hospital with a hand and arm infection so that I could really see hospitals from the inside out. Mm, That's dedication. (laughs) That's real dedication. My poor son will have a lot to talk about with his therapist. No, of course, I didn't send him to the hospital on purpose. However, 
boy, do I have a lot of insights. The last time I'd spent some time, you know, in a hospital was with my aging parents. Um, and that's a whole different experience of itself. Um, being in, pedi- in the pediatric ward and seeing how that all works out is its whole other beast. Um, tell us me a little, tell everybody a little bit about your background and what got you, um, what finds you here talking about American hospitals in general? Well, I was a journalist uh, in my first career. I was a newspaper reporter in my home state of Tennessee in Memphis and in Nashville, ultimately in Washington. But I uh, was kind of pulled away or lured away from journalism into public relations work, first to work for a, a political candidate. Uh, but um, I worked, uh, I was recruited by some health insurance companies, Humana first and then Signal. So altogether about 20 years working for big health insurance companies. It was not anything I planned. I just... Uh, uh, took calls from recruiters and was uh, persuaded by money to to go into that kind of work. They make uh, PR people make a lot more money generally than journalists do. So um, uh, they sure do. Yeah, right. Sure do. And I, I did that until I couldn't do it anymore. I saw too much. Uh, I think both Humana and Cigna re- probably regret hiring me because I did leave and became a very vocal critic of the insurance industry. But my first job in healthcare. Uh, actually was as, as uh, a PR and advertising uh, guy for a hospital system in Knoxville, Tennessee, where I also lived. And uh, so I, I got to understand hospitals. This was really some years before we saw hospitals begin to merge and become giants uh, that they are now, uh, which is really a big part of what the movie is about, American Hospitals. Um, so uh, the American Hospitals film features a number of um, former executives and public health officials and physicians all talking about um, how the impact of conglomeration on hospitals and um, the difference between a hospital, I mean, what it means to be a not-for-profit hospital. And when I was spending time when I was in the hospital with my son, um, by which I mean, when I was the mom, because that's all they call you in the hospital. Hey, mom. And um, which is nice. I like my son. I like being his mom. But it's a funny thing to just be known as mom. Um, When I'm there, when I was there, and I said, I'm going to be interviewing this former Cigna Health executive. What, you know, do you have any questions for him? As I, I was asking all the physicians as they came in. And it sort of stopped a few of the Positions in their track, and they're like, "Nah, there's nothing to know." Um, here's what I can tell you: that being a not-for-profit hospital only means, in the state of New Jersey, I guess, where I'm from, where I live, that 10% of your population needs to be on Medicaid in order to be considered a not-for-profit hospital. And after that, um, you get all the benefits of being a not-for-profit hospital, but you only have to keep it at 10%, which creates a number of huge disparities. What have you um, seen in the, there's been a huge change in uh, how hospitals um, create profit for themselves since the deregulation of hospitals in the late 80s. Uh, what What has this change meant for all of us? Aside from the obvious that we all feel when we go to a hospital and go, Oh my God, that costs so much money. I think the the biggest change is uh, the the fact that these these big 
hospital systems uh, that once were, uh, I think, um, hospitals that that adhered to a mission of making sure that people in their communities really received the care that they needed, regardless of their ability to pay. These hospital systems have moved far beyond that. Uh, uh, and in particular, <clears throat> the, the, the not-for-profit system. So one I work for in East Tennessee was, was non-profit. And I left there just before the hospital industry, if you will, was deregulated. And uh, it no longer exists. It's almost like it's been blown off the map. It was absorbed into another system, and that was absorbed into yet another system. And we've seen that all across the country. Uh, almost every city in, in the United States has one or two uh, major hospital systems. Uh, that is, that they've become behemoths because of mergers and acquisitions. Uh, they retain their their so-called nonprofit status, but that means that they don't pay taxes. Uh, and in many states, they they really have no obligation to treat uh, 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 many people who don't have the ability to pay. Some of the hospitals that are the biggest and are Catholic hospitals have there have been a lot of stories about how they they hound uh, patients who have very little money, low income patients. Uh, uh, and send them to collections to try to get as much money as they can, you know, kind of blood out of turnips. Uh, and, and, and these, these, as this has been happening, these big hospital systems have lost uh, their, in my view, their mission, their uh, commitment to community benefit, as it's called. Uh, and another thing that's happened is that they have forsaken their communities, frankly. They have been chasing Wealthy folks, they will move out of rural areas, they'll move out of uh, cities into more prosperous zip codes, more prosperous suburbs. And um, that means that more and more of, of us in this country uh, have uh, less and less access to health care and more and more difficulty paying for it when we do go to the hospital. That's right. Uh, and the... Tennessee has lost, I mean, one of, that's one of the statistics that really sort of blew me away in um, the documentary itself, that like we've lost over 130 rural hospitals and 13 of those were in your former home state or your home state right. of Tennessee. Yeah, th that's true. And, and part of the reason, a big part of the reason is that Tennessee is sadly one of, I think now just 10 states that have not expanded the Medicaid program uh, as most states did under the Affordable Care Act, uh, it's pretty much under the control of, of uh, uh, political, politically conservative groups that have, uh, um, you know, a lot of lawmakers in their pockets that have, uh, despite the fact that 13 hospitals have closed, many rural hospitals have shut down that has enormous consequences, negative consequences, as we, as we describe in the movie, on the communities. Uh, but uh, uh, because of the, the, the patient mix that has resulted, in other words, these hospitals uh, have very little uh, commercial uh, insurance patients or patients with commercial insurance, uh, and most of the people have no insurance, uh, and these hospitals just cannot stay in business. And, and we're seeing that play out across the country. Uh, the, the wealthiest hospitals, again, are those in more prosperous neighborhoods and zip codes, and they're sitting on mountains of cash in many cases. Uh, but uh, smaller hospitals are closing all over the country because they don't have that prosperity. Uh, you, uh, it, in this uh, documentary, they mentioned um, 
the difference between people who can pay versus uh, so how much profit a, a, a hospital can make off of someone with uh, employer paid insurance, say like me, and which I feel very lucky to have, but versus people who pay versus Medicaid and that the, the yeah. it, it, it's huge, the difference. It is. It's huge, and it is it is a reason why these hospitals have uh, have moved away from areas with high populations of people who have Medicaid uh, or even Medicare, because uh, neither of those public programs pay as much as uh, uh, commercial or private insurers. Uh, but the other problem there is that private insurers are not able to control healthcare costs, nor are they motivated to do that, because as hospital prices go up. Uh, big insurance companies uh, can and do just increase premiums. Uh, and that benefits these big insurance companies because they now have more revenue that they can convert to profit. So you have, in a sense, you've had this uh, arms race uh, that has been created by insurance companies, in my view, because I work in the industry and I even handle communications around some big acquisitions that Cigna made. Uh, there's been a lot of consolidation on the health insurance business, we now have just about uh, seven or eight very, very large health insurance companies that dominate the, the landscape the, in, in every market. Uh, and hospitals have, in my view, in self-defense, began begun to uh, merge and buy each other to become big because they felt they needed to have that, that size, that additional uh, uh, size to uh, be able to negotiate favorable deals with insurance companies. So... Uh, you, you've had this deregulation that has uh, affected both the insurance industry and the hospital industry, and the big losers are, the, are all of us. The only winners really are the uh, the executives and shareholders of these big companies. Right, and that was the sort of snappy response I was going to say to you, which was, you know, insurance companies have protected themselves, right, and raised their costs, and then hospitals, in response, have conglomerated and protected themselves and raised their prices or maintain prices to fight that. And little old us, what can we do to protect ourselves? And I, I don't, I, is there an answer, you know, uh, that what can I do? Become an advocate, to be honest with you. Uh, and I know that you, you, what you're doing, you're doing the Lord's work, just having me on and for us talking about this, in my view, uh, that people need to be more aware. And that's why we did the documentary to, to raise the awareness of what's really going on. Uh, in the U.S. hospitals, uh, why uh, why it's happening, why we have to pay so much, and why we have to pay so much out of our own pockets. There are patients that, that are in the movie uh, from Pennsylvania and Kentucky. Uh, one woman from the Pittsburgh area uh, was hospitalized. She had cancer, uh, and she had insurance, but her out-of-pocket requirements were so big that she had to uh, sell her house and move into a small apartment. A young man in Kentucky uh, had a serious condition uh, that uh, he too had health insurance with high out-of-pockets and he had to file for bankruptcy. This is happening all the time in this country and people are just not really paying attention. We think we're, you know, we'll, we'll go uh, this year without a health problem, next year without a health problem. We don't realize until it hits us uh, what the consequences are. Uh, and then it's, it's too late for a lot of people. They, they lose their homes. They file for bankruptcy. That affects generations of people, not just uh, not just the individuals that have to file for bankruptcy or lose their homes. 
And I'm going to my phone right now because I was so shocked by one of the uh, illustrations that you showed on the um, during the documentary that uh, we we have people who are filing for bankruptcy, right? Average folks. This poor woman, I, the, this shot of her, and she's like opening up her bills, and she's like, "I didn't want to worry my family because they were worried about my health." Right. And so it, this woman is doing the most unhealthy thing, right, which is sort of internalizing her own worries, selling the family house, taking on that level of grief and sadness. She she was a, you know, a hardworking American, right, who had insurance. And here she was having to sell it all so that she could pay these insurance companies. And then I look at these figures about um the reserves, the polite term, I think, for the money that these hospitals have, and 600, in general, $668 million they own in U.S. and foreign stock. This is for hospitals uh, in general. I mean, all of them. $417 million in corporate bonds, $699 million in cash, wouldn't that be nice? $152 million in real estate investment and $59 million in government securities, and they don't pay taxes, most of them. So, except for their employees. Um, what, how, how does that continue? How do we let that happen? How do we become, I'm sorry, how do we let that happen? We, we let it happen because we, uh, we allowed, um, the executives uh, of these companies to um, have their way with lawmakers to, uh, to to have what we have with a deregulated hospital system. Um, uh, and that's happened in, in almost every state. There is one notable exception, which we uh, talk about in the movie, uh, that has done something that has made a big, big difference in, in the lives of the people in that state. Um, and that, that, that's one of the things that we advocate for other states to look at what Maryland has done uh, that that make a lot of sense, but most states uh, just got on the deregulation bandwagon, uh, and uh, uh, and now we're paying the, the big price for that. Uh, we and the price we're paying is that more and more people who get sick, and we're all going to get sick at one time or another, probably, or 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 injured, and we're or have a friend people. or a family member. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, last year, the Kaiser. Uh, Family Foundation did a, a survey and did some research that found that 100 million Americans now have medical debt. They're carrying medical debt. The vast majority of those people have health insurance, but they are having to pay such high hospital prices, uh, such high out-of-pocket costs because of the way insurance is now structured, that uh, that they're they're having to file for bankruptcy or lose their homes. Uh, one of the statistics in the movie that we show is that of cancer patients in this country, uh, I think it's about 42% of them lose all their savings. Uh, So not only are you dealing with uh, a life-threatening illness, uh, you you also are dealing with bills that come in, even with your insurance. You're paying premiums every month, uh, but you, you have to pay when you get sick or injured enormous sums of money, thousands in most cases, out of your own pocket every year. It starts over again every year. Uh, and that, that's one of the reasons why I, I also started an organization or a coalition called Lower Out-of-Pockets Now, uh, because we need to focus attention on that. There's no reason that we should put up with uh, insurance companies pushing us into bankruptcy uh, as we pay 
uh, premiums every month or, or, and or our, our employers. So uh, there's a lot that we need to do. And part of it is just becoming, you know, the first part is becoming educated, becoming aware, uh, and then motivated to do something about it, uh, to reach out to your members of Congress and uh, uh, your state legislators and join community groups to uh, uh, try to figure out how, uh, as individuals and members of of, uh, of groups, you might be we might be able to affect some change. That's exactly um, that was definitely my takeaway from this. You know, uh, there are a lot of issues that we've all felt you know that have come up over the past. I think we've become more aware, I guess, over the past number of years about all the issues that we really sort of need to be aware of, right? And I think for one thing that's going to impact every single one of us is healthcare. How do we get our representatives and members of Congress to pay attention to the issue? How do we get more people to know about what's going on in Maryland? So that's two questions, which is not the easiest thing to throw at you. So the first question is, how am I going to get my representative going? And then I'd love to talk about the, what's going on in Maryland and why we should all move there if they don't, you know, New Jersey doesn't shape up. Because of the careers I've had, I have, uh, uh, in one way or another, been involved in politics, either as uh, an aide to a, a political candidate covering uh, both a, a legislature and Congress um, as a reporter and uh, uh, being a lobbyist. Uh, and because of those, I obviously have some familiarity with uh, uh, how, how things are done at both the state and federal levels. Most people don't. And they, 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 there is almost some fear uh, an intimidation about reaching out to a member of Congress or just not thinking it's worth it. Uh, it's worth it. Uh, and I, I really think that if there's one thing that I can do uh, uh, through being on your podcast or the other work that I do to get people to understand, uh, it's not going to change unless we get involved. Now, we all are very busy. We all have 99 problems and we don't want to have another one. But we, this is something that's so important and it, it will affect us at some point in our lives. And if we don't uh, uh, begin to take some action, uh, uh, we're, we're going to pay a very steep price. And many people already are. So number one is get to know your member of Congress and your state legislator. But even more important, make sure they know you. Make sure they know your name. Be a, a, a squeaky wheel. I tell people all the time, if they've gotten... Uh, something denied by an insurance company or a big bill comes in, be a squeaky wheel, push back. Don't pay that bill. Uh, don't take a denial uh, as a final answer, because if you if you push back, there's a very, very good chance that your what your doctor says you need is going to be ultimately approved and you're you're not going to have to pay that big bill. People don't know that. They, and healthcare is so intimidating. And certainly when you're sick, uh, you're trying to get well, much less, uh, you know, fight big bureaucratic organizations or institutions like hospitals and insurance companies. But you got to get motivated. Uh, check out some some groups that are engaged in healthcare reform. I lead an organization called the Center for Health and Democracy. As in addition to my my co- the coalition I lead, uh, people need to uh, join those kinds of efforts. Uh, uh, so work as an individual and uh, as a part of a group. Regarding Maryland, uh, few people know about that. We felt this documentary needed to, as a, a one big part of this, was to help people understand you don't have to look abroad to find solutions. Uh, 
Uh, you can just look uh, to Maryland, which has a system in which all of the payers, whether it's Medicare or Medicaid or private insurance, everybody, or, or if you are uninsured and, and have to pay yourself, everybody pays the same amount. That's not true in any other state. It depends on what kind of coverage you have and what kind of insurance company you, you deal with. They all negotiate separate deals. In Maryland, that's not the case. And in Maryland, another thing they do is have a system of what's referred to as global budgeting. Um, the state has determined um, how much each hospital needs to keep the doors open and, and serve the communities that they're in. Uh, and it's worked well. Not only are those hospitals uh, still in business, Maryland has had the fewest hospital closures in the country. Um, and uh, there, there really is no need for a safety net hospital in Maryland because all the hospitals uh, are on a budget, <laughs> uh, as most families are on a budget, and uh, everybody pays the same thing. Uh, like if you go to a grocery store, you're going to pay the same thing as the next person in line. But if you're talking about healthcare, ain't the, that ain't the case. So we need to have some sanity in our healthcare system. And Maryland has, uh, has done some things that make the system much more rational and fair. And what you're seeing there, too, is that uh, more and more people uh, in those communities, if they, if they have low incomes, are, are uh, uh, getting the care that they need. They're healthier. It's, and these hospitals are, are really committed to community benefit or population health, which is something mm -hmm. that you don't see in, uh, in many other places. Also, the, um, the, they have a better outcomes in general. Yes. Like the statistics for Maryland show that there's a reduction in readmission, yep. reductions in um, infection rates, all the things that you, when you, if you're checking out a hospital, you want to make sure they have. Right. Um, and I, that is, it's so remarkable to me. And it's, uh, I don't think more than, you know, I don't think enough people know about it. I don't think they know that there's a rate commission in Maryland. Right. That's true. And, and a lot of people who've, who've been on the deregulation bandwagon will look at that and say, well, that's, that's rate regulation. That's price regulation. Well, we're seeing that it works. Uh, it is not a, a uh, those are not four letter words that some people think that they are. Uh, and we, we are seeing the consequences of, of deregulation in the hospital business uh, and what one state has done to resist that and to move to a place where yeah, people are. You're exactly right. These, uh, because of the way Maryland uh, uh, pays, what Marylanders pay for health care and the, uh, the way the rates are set uh, uh, and the budgets they have, more and more people are getting the care that they need. And these hospitals actually share savings uh, by keeping people healthy. So the incentives are more aligned than they are in other, other places. In most other places, these hospitals uh, are only interested in uh, getting, your, getting your dollars and, and uh, ultimately getting you out of the hospital, uh, but getting as much money as they possibly can uh, without uh, much care for what happens, uh, you know, what your home life is like. Uh, and in, in Maryland, there's more attention paid to the so, what's called referred to as the social determinants of health. There are a lot of people who get sick uh, because of the, the the way their lives are, the neighborhoods they're in, their exposure to uh, uh, pollutants, whatever it might be. Um, uh, most most hospitals 
uh, pay scant attention to things like that. Um, the thing that I noticed, and um, I recently had a, um, like I had COVID and I was have, were concerned about heart issues. I went to my cardiologist who knew me. One of the things that they did was, uh, I'm fine in case anybody's worried, but um, one of the things they did was to do a sonogram of my heart, right? And um, I was, I'd had this before a couple of years back and the procedure ended up costing me $180, right? After insurance. Um, I just looked at the bill for the charge for this time and the bill was, $2,780. And that, strangely enough, reminded me of another number. And that number was my personal deductible. Well, what's that about? <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it is, a, it's frankly a mistake. Uh, it's something that policymakers have allowed to happen because they've been under the influence of health insurance company executives and lobbyists. When the Affordable Care Act was passed, it did uh, make more people eligible and and uh, make health insurance more affordable. Um, but one of the things that the uh, the, uh, the the members of Congress and the Biden, uh, Obama administration did was allow uh, deductibles to increase every year uh, to the point that uh, now there's there is a maximum, which is a good thing. But a family can be on the hook for eighteen thousand two hundred dollars uh, in out of pocket expenses. Uh, every year, and an individual for $9,100. That goes up every year. Uh, people don't have that kind of money in the bank for the, for the most part. Very few people have that kind of money uh, that they can just spend uh, for health care. And again, knowing that uh, come January the 1st every year, it resets and you have, you, you're facing that obligation all over again. So the people who are most penalized are people with chronic conditions, people who unfortunately uh, get cancer, uh, who have a serious accident and need expensive care. Uh, we're penalizing people uh, who, need the, uh, who need care. And insurance companies uh, are making money hand over fist. And most of the work that I do uh, is trying to expose the profiteering among big health insurance companies. Um, I did a, a report analysis of the earnings uh, and revenues of the seven big for-profit uh, insurance companies in this country. Uh, last year, they combined took in $1.25 trillion. They made $69 billion in profits. And you know what they did with much of that money? They bought back shares of their own stock rather than reducing deductibles or out-of-pockets or helping people get the care that they need, or reducing premiums, they bought back shares of their own stock. Uh, we're, most people are just not aware of this. And I've, 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 I've said many times, you know, what, you probably have seen the bumper sticker, if you're, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. People should be absolutely outraged at what is going on in healthcare in this country. And in particular, about insurance companies, uh, we, by the way, uh, when I say we, I worked with uh, uh, some other folks to do this documentary. Uh, it's a fourth in a series of documentaries. And the first one uh, called Fix It Healthcare looked largely or primarily at health insurance companies. And uh, uh, they, uh, uh, they, they have long, a long time ago uh, lost their way, in my view. And I saw it up close. That's why I left the industry. I couldn't, I couldn't in good conscience 
conscience keep working for a big insurance company. I, I, I saw too much. Um, I, I think that's really why you're doing God's work there um, and encouraging us all to do it as well. Uh, what are you... You know, I'm sure this is like, you know, when people, doctors go to cocktail parties and people are like, could you just look at this and tell me if it's okay? Um, but what are your top tips for the people you meet on the bus or at a party or whomever about or just the listeners here of this podcast about what we can do, one, to protect ourselves and two, um, protect ourselves and make sure that we're getting the most from our insurance dollars that we're all spending, if we're lucky enough to have um, employer-based insurance or yeah. our own personal insurance. Yeah. What can we do? Well, well, for one thing, and um, uh, I don't mean to be uh, glib or flippant here, but we need to try to avoid getting sick. Try to, we need to do what we can. <laughs> I was can. just looking at the oranges going, <laughs> A lot of vitamin C. That's right. Go right. for a job. It's really important to pay attention to your health and try to do things to keep you from getting sick in the first place. Of course, we can't. Uh, that, that doesn't work all the time. We're all going to probably have to go to a hospital. Uh, but uh, become an advocate for change. Get involved in, in, in groups and organizations that are, that are fighting for change. And there are plenty of them. But here's the thing that I also tell folks. We've got to pay attention to what is happening to our democracy. As I mentioned, one of the organizations I lead is called the Center for Health and Democracy. What we have seen is an erosion of that. And how that affects us when we're talking about health care is that the big companies I work for are able to influence public policy that benefits them. They spend huge sums of money on campaign contributions, on lobbyists. Uh, my company had an army of lobbyists. The industry has just... Uh, legions of lobbyists and very few people uh, who advocate uh, for for patients. So we've got to change that dynamic. But we all we have to really address money in politics. Uh, one of the worst things I think that ever happened in this country was the Supreme Court's decision on something called Citizens United that just opened the floodgates for big money, dark money uh, that influences uh, uh, elections and public policy. Uh, I'm writing something about Tennessee today. Uh, it's uh, My heart has just been broken to see what has been going on there in the Tennessee legislature, which I used to cover as a reporter. Uh, and at the heart of that is the influence of big special interests uh, that have their way, that are able to control, that have their thumb on lawmakers. Uh, that is the ultimate thing that we've got to do. And one of the documentaries that is part of this, this, four, this group of four documentaries is called Big Money Agenda. Uh, and I would encourage people to look at that and hopefully be motivated uh, to uh, do something about money in politics, which is not only eroding our democracy, but is making us have to pay more and more and more for health care, uh, even if we have insurance. Um, okay. Well, I, I, I thank you so much for coming on. I hope you will come on again as things, uh, as you bring up more of these important issues for us, because I think it's one of the things that we've really, really, we worry about it. It's like, and it's not like the weather. We worry about the weather and we can't do anything about it, but we can worry about our health insurance and our own health and we can do something about it. And that's the message I've taken from you today. And I really appreciate it. Thank you to Wendell Potter for joining me today on the podcast. 
You can follow Wendell on Twitter at WendellPotter.com. That's Wendell, W-E-N-D-E-L-L, Potter, P-O-T-T-E-R.com. And please take a moment, if you haven't already, and I'd love you to subscribe to my Substack at MarissaRothkopf.substack.com for all the hot takes, some cold ones, some refreshing ones, some iced ones, and of course, all the recipes we discuss here on the podcast. Thank you so much. And I look forward to talking to you over the week via Substack and Twitter. And see you next week.